This morning we'll be continuing our series on the commands of Jesus. Our topic today, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. Twenty-seven point three percent of American adults have anxiety problems. Anxiety disorders affect three point nine four percent of the worldwide population. Forty-one point seven percent of young adults, eighteen to twenty-nine years of age, suffer from anxiety. Nine point four percent of children in the U.S. have anxiety. of teens experienced higher anxiety levels during the pandemic. 31% of college students have an anxiety diagnosis. That's almost one-third, and that's only the ones that have a diagnosis, not the ones who don't. The prevalence of anxiety disorders in the U.S. is higher in women at 30.8% than in men at 23.5%. 7.1% of the U.S. population has social anxiety disorder. Here's a good one. 94%, 94% of the workers feel stressed out at work. COVID-19 pandemic caused a 25% increase in anxiety prevalence. of healthcare workers felt higher fear and anxiety levels due to COVID-19 virus exposure. Only 36.9% seek treatment for anxiety disorders. Are you getting the picture? This world has a problem with anxiety and worry. And yet... God in his word has four simple words about it. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. You see, God's word doesn't have a complicated solution for this. He doesn't have a a big treatment program or anything like that. He says, be anxious for nothing. Now, if it were that easy, you know, I mean, you think about back when uh, Nancy Reagan was the first lady and she was encouraging kids, just say no to drugs. Well, if it was that easy, nobody would have a drug problem. You know? If all you had to do was say to the alcoholic, don't have another drink, if they just had to say, well, okay, we don't have another... If that's all you had to say, then it's easy, the problem solved. Same thing with a gambling addiction. Just don't gamble. But it's not that easy, is it? And be anxious for nothing is not just a catchy slogan that somebody came up with. God, in His wisdom has decided to take it a little bit further. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So you see, God has taken it a step further. He has told us how to deal with worry and anxiety. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Now you notice there's no middle ground here. He's got both ends of the spectrum. He says, anxious, nothing. No thing, if you read it in the old King James. Prayer, everything. That means everything. The smallest to the largest. There's nothing in the middle. Nothing you're allowed to be anxious about and nothing you're allowed to not pray about. You see? In his book, Still Married and Still Sober, David McKenzie wrote this. He said, To act out the principle of turning prayers over to God, we took a paper bag, wrote God on it, and taped it up high on the back of our kitchen door. As I prayed about matters such as my career, my role as a father, my abilities to be a good husband, I would write down each concern on a piece of paper. Then those pieces of paper would go in the bag. The rule was that if you start worrying about a matter of prayer that you've turned over to God, you have to climb up on a chair and fish it out of the bag. I don't want to admit how much time I spent sifting through those scraps of paper. Isn't that what happens to all of us? We know we should pray about it, leave it to God, not worry about it. Five minutes later, we take it back and we start thinking about it again. God says to turn it over to him in prayer. That's a reflection of the intimacy between God and the believer. Addressed to God, it's always sacred. There's no restrictions on its content. You can talk about anything with God. It can be personal. It can be intercessory for someone else. It can be a petition for something that you feel is a need. And what does God's Word say when you pray? He says, now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So we know He hears us. And First Peter says, casting all your cares upon Him. So if that's His will... And when we ask according to His will, He hears us, then we know when we pray about something that we're worried about, He's heard us. And because He loves us, He will give us what is best. Now notice, prayer is one thing, supplication is another. What's the difference? Well, supplication is almost always petitionary in nature. It's a petition for something. It's an entreaty. It's a very intense asking for something. There's an urgency. It's not anxiety. It's not worry. 
but it's a request made unto God with a certain amount of urgency. You know, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, He prayed, He said, Father, if it is Your will, take this cup away from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Yours be done. So there's the prayer. My will, but Yours. But He knew He was about to bear the sin of the world. He was about to be separated from His Father. And He had never been separated from Him. He knew His Father would not even be able to look at Him as He bore our sins on the cross. Well, in answer to that first prayer, then an angel appeared to Him from heaven, strengthening Him. So God heard and God answered. And the Lord Jesus... Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly than his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Here you have the example of what supplication is. It's a very, very intense prayer. I don't believe I have ever, I know I have never prayed so intensely that my sweat became like great drops of blood. I think that was probably unique to the Lord Jesus. But we want to give everything over to Him, to God, in prayer. And the next thing He mentions is thanksgiving. You not only turn your cares over to Him, but before you even know how He's going to work, just go ahead and give Him thanks. Because He's going to work. And it's going to be the best thing for you because He loves you. You're going to have peace if you truly turn it over to Him. Peace that surpasses all understanding surpasses human understanding because humanly speaking, when you're turning something over to God, that's probably something you shouldn't have any peace about. The world look at you and say, how can you sit back and turn it over to God and not worry about it. And the doctor just told you you have cancer. Well, you can. Because God is going to take care of you in the best way possible. He's going to guard your heart. God is going to take care of you. Now before we go much further, I want to talk a little bit about the idea of whether or not we should be concerned. You know, we should not be worried. We should not be anxious. The Bible is very clear about that. But sometimes things happen, and there are things that we can do about them. You know, no one plans to fail. They just plan. They just fail to plan. And God does not necessarily condemn planning. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 16.9 James puts it this way, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. 
Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. God doesn't condemn making a plan. But he does want you to be able to adjust the plan as he directs. The idea being, we do what we can do, and we leave the rest to God. We never plan anything that would contradict the Word of God. But worry immobilizes. You just sit around, wringing your hands, worrying about something, and doing nothing. Concern will move you to action. I can do this much. God will do the rest. A great source of worry can be relationships with people. We all have those people in our lives who, um, well, let's just say we like some people more than others. Sometimes you don't want to approach someone. Sometimes you've said a careless word to someone or someone has said something to you that's offended and you really, you feel like you need to do something to make it right. But you're not sure what and you're really not comfortable doing it. Well, remember before you worry too much that Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 12. He says in verse 18 of Romans 12, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now he gives you two things there. Sometimes it's not possible. He says, if it is possible. The implication being that sometimes it's not going to be. So you leave it to God. You don't worry about it. The other thing he says is, as much as depends on you. So in my relationships with other people, Whatever I can do to repair or strengthen a relationship, I should do. And when I've done what I can do, stop worrying, because it won't do any good. Everything that you cannot do becomes God's responsibility. And do not... Take God's responsibility upon yourself. It just won't work. So we've looked a little bit at the solutions that God provides to worry. Be anxious for nothing. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and you get peace. But let's look at some passages that address specific areas of life where you might worry about things. First one is in Matthew chapter 6. This picks up right where I left off a few weeks ago when I was talking about storing up your treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, 
what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So here he talks about do not worry about food or drink or clothing or other material things. I believe the key to understanding this passage is in the last verse of verse 34. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. You don't need to acquire things and wealth for the future necessarily. Remember when God provided the manna in the desert and he said to the Israelites, gather enough each day for one day. Gather up what you need today. And the day before the Sabbath you were allowed to gather two days so you would have enough for the Sabbath without working. But what happened when they got ahead of themselves? Gathered it all up and tried to store it up for the future. It bred worms and it stank. And I believe when it comes to material possessions, God expects us to acquire the things we need when we need them. God will provide those things when we need them. You know, sometimes you see something and you say, maybe someday... I will use that. Well, I would say, and I'm trying to do this more and more myself, if I don't have a use for it, if I don't need it, if I can't put it to use today, I'm going to leave it right where it is. I'm not taking it home. I'm not spending my money on it. Question to ask yourself, how much is enough? You know, if you're into material things, enough is never enough. You just don't know. In verse 25, he raises the question and suggests that material goods are not what we were created for. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 26, he raises the question, are you not of more value than the birds of the air? We were created on a different order than the birds and the beasts. We are created in the image of God. We can think about these things. We can go to God. We can have a relationship with Him. Verse 27, And you add one cubit to your stature. No, you can't. And so God says, Don't worry about those things which you cannot do. Leave them to me because I can do them. Verses 28 through 30 suggest that man is of a much more permanent nature than the grass of the field. We have an eternal soul. That's why we want people to come to the Lord and be saved. Because they will spend eternity one way or the other in the presence of the Lord or separated from the Lord. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? All these things the Gentiles seek. One more thing. If I just had that, if I just had this much money, you know, in North Carolina, the fellow told me a story, true story, he claims, about a woman who prayed to God and said she would be never want for anything more if she had a million dollars. She prayed to God for a million dollars. Well, one day her son, whom she loved dearly, was in an accident. And there was liability involved, and when all was said and done, the settlement to her was one million dollars. Be careful what you wish for. Be careful that one more thing that's going to make your life easy. Remember that believers have a certain security. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Whatever you need. And remember, the word is need. Not what you want, not what you desire, the what you need is what he'll provide. I'd like to look at another passage. And this passage is going to demonstrate what can happen when you worry about something you're not supposed to be worried about. It's in Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. Very familiar. Now it happened as they went that Jesus entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, 
Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now there's an old Swedish proverb that says, Worry gives a small thing a big shadow. Martha's attention to detail overshadowed her relationship with the Lord. When you get worried about things, as Martha was, your priorities get mixed up. You get focused on the wrong things. Service is a good thing. We should all be serving the Lord and serving each other. But when it displaces our fellowship with God and our fellowship and relationship with other believers, it's not good. Martha was distracted from the message. She lost focus. In order to find that peace from God, you have to be seeking Him. And worry will distract you from his message every time. If you aren't focused on the Lord Jesus, if all you're doing is worrying about your service, your service may not even be the right service. may not be what he wants you to be doing. We should always seek first the kingdom of God. That should always be our highest priority. What are some of the other things that we might worry about? Well, here in this country, we don't worry too much about persecution, not yet anyway. But what happens when persecution comes? Scriptures would tell us, do not worry. Matthew chapter 10. I'll begin reading it. Verse 16. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. 
it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them. There is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Some of the things described in this particular passage about persecution don't sound very pleasant to us. And while we do not experience that here in this country today, I I fear that we will someday. But there are Christians in the world who are experiencing this today, who fear for their very lives to gather together like this to read the Word and to talk about it. You know, worry is interest paid on trouble before it is due. I think the key to understanding what the Lord Jesus is getting at here is in verse 18 and 22, the little phrase, for my sake. You know, you can be persecuted for a lot of things. You make stupid decisions, you can end up in jail, you can can do a lot of things. But what this passage refers to is persecution for my sake because of your faith, because of your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Most probably, this will be something sudden and unexpected. You know, I mean, in World War II, you were a Jewish person in Europe, the Nazis came banging on the door in the middle of the night, and away you went. Jesus says, you will get the words. You know, in this country, we recently there's been a lot of talk about the supply chain problem. 
Our supply chain years ago used to be warehouses full of stuff. And when you needed something, you just went to the warehouse and got one. Then somebody came up with this idea called just-in-time inventory. They said, you know, we're going to run an assembly line here, and the parts we need, we're not going to keep them in a warehouse. We're going to have them delivered just as we need them. Just as the assembly line runs out of it, we're going to get some more, and we'll keep the line going. Well, that works good until you get something like the pandemic, and all of a sudden, everybody runs out of everything. What Jesus says in this passage, he says, I'm not going to give you a warehouse full of stuff, words to say, things to do. He has given us his word, and we're to be familiar with it. But what we need in that hour of persecution is going to be just exactly what we need, when we need it, no more, no less. It'll be just in time. Three times in this passage, he says, do not fear. Fear is nothing more than a very, very intense form of anxiety. And God says, do not fear. Just like he says, be anxious for nothing. Jesus says, all will be revealed. The truth will come out. The truth will prevail. So you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about the people who are persecuting you. There's only one way to get condemned. And that is to not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can say to you, away from me, I never knew you. And confine you to that place where you're separated from God forever. No one else can do that. So you don't have to worry about what they do to you. You are of value because you are created in the image of God. You have been purchased by His blood. And nothing can snatch you out of His hand. So stop worrying. Simply confess or say the same thing as Jesus. Be bold, not timid. You don't have to be obnoxious, but be bold. Don't be afraid. And the divisions that come, well, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. In our closing minutes, one more thing. Jesus said, do not worry about eternity. Let's turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. The upper room discourse, Jesus talking to his disciples just before he was betrayed. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Hudson Taylor, missionary of China, founder of what today is known as the Overseas Missionary Fellowship, gave this excellent advice. Let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all, right into God's hand. And then, when we have given all over to Him, there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about. Jesus' command is, let not your heart be troubled. Why does He say that? Because He also makes a statement, you believe in God. Some translations will say you trust God. He's telling the disciples he's going somewhere. They're afraid of losing him. They're starting to worry. And this Greek word, terasso, that's translated troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. So I looked at the meanings of it, possible meanings, ways it's translated, and it almost suggest, it suggested to me a progression. You know, worry begins as a little agitation, like the water in the pool in John chapter 5. The water gets a little agitated, a little stirred up. And then we become unsettled, perplexed. Consternation, grief, and anxiety set in. The mind is troubled. We begin to fear. Eventually, it turns into a terror. That's what happens when you worry. That's the progression. But Jesus says, believe in or trust God. Believe in, trust me. And you don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. I don't know if any of you have been to Camp Lilolai in New York, but they have a, a ropes course there. And one of the things you can do is to climb up on this pole. It's 20 or 25 feet up in the air. At the top of it, you have a space about this big around to put your feet on. You balance on the top of the pole. And just out of reach, out in front of you, is a bar suspended by ropes, kind of like trapeze. And you take a leap of faith off of this pole and grab for the bar. And you're all thinking, why would anybody do that? <laughs> well, you know why? Because they have a harness on. The harness is attached to a rope that goes over a pulley and you're belayed by a person on the ground who's going to catch you if you fall or if you miss the bar. Why do you do it? It's because you trust the harness, you trust the rope, you trust the person on the ground. So you can do that 
without worry and without fear. This is what God is saying. Trust me. You can do, you can believe in me, you can follow me, you can be my disciple without any fear whatsoever. Because if you fall or if you miss the bar, I'm going to catch you. says, believe in me. You know, the disciples were first persuaded by his words. And then they believed him. And then they committed themselves to him. And that's why they were a little bit concerned right about now, because they say, you know, we have gone gone the distance with you. We've thrown in everything with you. We've put our everything in you. And now you say you're going away? But after the day of Pentecost, they received the Holy Spirit. And they were moved to action. And they turned the world upside down. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He suffered, died, and was buried to prepare that place that we could go to. There are many mansions or many rooms. There's going to be room enough for all believers. So don't worry about eternity. God is going to catch you. And Jesus is going to take you to be with Him. In verse 23 of this chapter, Jesus promises that the Father and the Son will make our home with those who trust in Him. Those who love Him and keep His commandments. So you see, the solution to worry is to give it to God in prayer and supplication, to thank Him, and to experience His peace. And when your mind is working overtime, worrying, 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 think about this verse. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You start bringing that verse to mind and you'll stop worrying because there's really nothing to worry about. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the assurance that we can trust in you and that all things will work together for your good, for your glory. Father, we thank you for the saints gathered here today. We offer up our prayers for those who would be with us today, but for one reason or another cannot be ask you to comfort them wherever they may be, uphold them. 
We thank you, Father, for the food that's prepared downstairs. We ask you to please bless it to our use and us to your service. And we pray that if the Lord Jesus does not return, that we would be able to gather here Wednesday night to study your word, and we would be able to gather here again Sunday to remember the Lord, to worship, and to learn from your word. We give you thanks and praise in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.